Welcome to another episode of the Ad Astra podcast. Today, we're very honored to have with us Professor Somo Sela. Welcome. Welcome. Professor Sela is a, a professor emeritus of the Bar Ilam University, and he is known for his extensive research work on the, the life and, and the works, the astrologic works of Ibn Ezra, one of the main sources of a medieval and uh, early modern practices of astrology. So it's a great pleasure to have you with us today, Professor. Um, uh, well, we would start to ask you, um, how did you get to Ibn Ezra? How did you get to your, to your main focus of research? How did it develop? How, do you, how did you reach uh, this topic? Okay, I began around 25 years ago uh, with my doctoral dissertation. My doctoral dissertation was about how Abraham Ibn Ezra introduced combined astrological content into his biblical commentaries. Then when I completed my dissertation, there was the question, what I will do next? The natural answer was to continue with Ibn Ezra's astrological writings, but I was afraid of that. <laughs> it was not, it was not an easy thing to do. You have to understand that at this time, almost all Ibn Ezra's astrological works were in manuscript and they were completely unknown. In any case, I accepted the advice of friends and I began. And I am still working with that until this very moment. I just stopped working half an hour, half an hour ago in order to speak with you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, very briefly the history, okay, of my my link with Abraham Ibn Ezra. Mm. Yeah. A very long link. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when when did you start, Professor? When when was your your doctoral uh, thesis finished? My doctoral dissertation was. Um, approximately more than 20 years ago, 21 years, 22 years ago, yes. So, you have yes. decades of dedication to the... Intensive dedication, because we, if we see all your... Yes. I am actually surprised, because if we see how much you have written about this, this topic, and how deep you have gone into this topic, I was um, expecting, like, I don't know, like more, at least one more decade of study, because in 20 years you developed an extensive work on, on Abraham mm -hmm. Ibn Ezra. I want to tell you a secret about okay. that. <laughs> a secret. Okay, my, my production was accelerated 
when I became a professor emeritus. Professor emeritus means that you are retired. Yes. Then, then you have a lot of time to invest. <laughs> when you are not professor emeritus, you have to invest time in other things, like, like teaching, for example. <laughs> now that I am a professor emeritus, I'm a professor emeritus for four or five years. My production was extended. This, 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 is, this is the simple reason why I am now producing a little more than before. The other reason is that as far as you became more acquainted with your subject matter, then you are finding more and more things to do and more and more interesting things to do. And you are doing them better and better. Okay? Then the question is to continue to proceed ahead and to research more and more. Mm-hmm. Simply. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, simple. But when we see um, the work... But you have to understand here one important point about my history, academic history. Until four years, three years, approximately, mm-hmm. my research was uh, dedicated to Ibn Ezra's original Hebrew works. And I uh, published all of them. All of them. All of them which survived in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Then, when all of them were published, along the way, I discovered that there are a number of works by Ibn Ezra that did not survive in Hebrew, but they survived in Latin translation. Mm-hmm. And they are surely Ibn Ezra's works. Surely. I may ask I may answer if you ask me why, but let let us let us let us leave it for later, perhaps. Uh, in any case, from from this time when I finished, I began with Latin translation. There was a, a, a it was not easy. It was not easy to pass from Hebrew to Latin. Mm-hmm. But I did it, I did it, and I already published in two volumes Ibn Ezra's works which survived in Latin. Mm -hmm. One of them was published two months ago. I didn't see it yet. Personally, I didn't see it. I wrote it, but I didn't see it. And now I am continuing with Ibn Ezra's translators with mm-hmm. translations of Ibn Ezra, whose uh, Hebrew counterpart exists. Okay. okay. This, this is my current uh, uh, work. Mm-hmm. And, and I am curious, are you finding significant differences? Be- between what? Between the, the Hebrew text and the Latin translation? Yes, yes, they are. They are. First of all, the language. Yes. First of all, the language is, the linguistic part of the research for me is very, is, is fundamental, fundamental. Because on the one hand, when you read Ibn Ezra in Hebrew, you are, in fact, you are researching the beginning of the Hebrew language. Because no one before Ibn Ezra wrote about astrology. Mm-hmm. 
then he is creating a new astrological vocabulary. And he is fascinating to work with his with his works only from the linguistic point of point of view. But when you pass to the Latin translations, it's the same story. Because when they translate Ebenezer, they also have to create a new, a new, uh, a new uh, astrological uh, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. For example, one, one example. Now I am working with Henry Bates. Uh, tra Latin translations. Mm -hmm. Henry Bati is very special from various points of, point of view. One of them is that he's adding to his translations a lot of digressions and uh, additions of himself. Anytime, any, in any place that he finds something that uh, he's interesting in Ibn Ezra's uh, discourse, he has to comment. And then he converts himself into Ibn Ezra's commentator. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he's very interesting from the linguistic point of view because what distinguishes uh, Henry Bate from other translators is that he translates by doublets and triplets. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? If he finds one word, he will translate it in two or three words. Hmm. It's, very it's a very interesting feature of him, of, of him. One word generally is the normal Latin word for this term. And other words are words invented by him to, 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 to make it clearer. Okay. Okay, this is one, one, one of the many reasons why he is uh, translating by doublets and triplets. In any case, there are very interesting translations. They are very different from the original Hebrew. Uh, and this is my research, okay, to take account not only of the Latin text, which is not an easy, easy, easy work, working with Latin manuscripts from the, from the 13th, 14th, 15th century, uh, but also to understand the differences between the Latin and the uh, source text. Mm -hmm. But you have also to understand that the source text is not Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Not Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And Rebate didn't understand Hebrew. The source text is French. Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. Old French. We know that, first of all, because uh, Henri Bate commissioned Hagin le Juif, mm -hmm. Hagin le Juif, to translate for him a collection of words by Ibn Ezra from Hebrew into French. Mm -hmm. We have now, in two manuscripts, collections, uh, a collection of four astrological works translated by Hagin Le Juif. Hmm. Four. Yes. But the point here is that if you compare the works that were compared, translated by Hagin Le Juif, and the works that were compared by Jan Ribate, only one 
Only one of the works translated by Hagen the Jew was translated by Henri Bate. All the others, we do not have French counterpart. Mm-hmm. Then where from did Henri Bate translate his other translations? Mystery. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is very interesting. In any case, he didn't do that directly from Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting discovery made the last year. Until the last year, no one knew exactly who is this Agin Le Juif, where he lived, why, nothing. Mm-hmm. What was discovered, what I discovered the last year, is that Hagin Le Juif was Enribate's neighbor. Mm. He lived at a distance of 50 meters. Mm. I was in the house. He, uh, I, uh, Henry Bate lived in the city of Mechelen in Belgium. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. And, uh, and Hagi Lejuif lived in a house 50 meters from his house. And he was there. I was there. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting point is Hagi Lejuif is a Jew. Hagi Lejuif. Okay, of course. Yeah. Now, there was a Jewish quarter in Mechelen. But, but Hagi Lejuif did not live in the Jewish quarter. He lived, he was a neighbor of Enribate, which means that any time that Enribate needed the assistance of his translator, he could call him yes. at night, at day, whenever he wished. <laughs> yeah. Just go to the window yes. and shout. <laughs> go to the window and shout. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That's very interesting because when we did a small research on, um, I was involved in a project here in Portugal a couple of years ago that dealt with uh, um, Hebrew illuminated manuscripts, so illumination in Hebrew manuscripts produced in Portugal. And one of the uh, various things that were, was done was an inventory of the texts, the Hebrew texts that we had related to Portugal. And um, we noticed that in the scientific um, manuscripts, mostly medicine, but I would suspect that some would have astrology as well, there was this need to translate. And um, many of them were not translated to Hebrew, but they were kept uh, in, um, in Portuguese, but with Hebrew characters. Uh-huh. Uh, which you probably you know, you know much yeah. more than, than us on yeah. this matter, I suppose. And, and that was quite interesting because exactly of the technical difficulties that they have to create a, a, a name for a Latin uh, for, that came from the Latin and they don't know exactly how to translate it to a technical name to Hebrew, it's, which is it's interesting. You, you, what you are, you are telling us is exactly the opposite. It is how do we transform a technical term that is in Hebrew to uh, Latin again, and uh, Ibn Ezra probably was having his own sources, earlier sources, and in which, which was... Ibn Ezra's sources were Arabic, of course. Yeah. So he's the equivalent in Hebrew. Yes, then you have, this is extremely interesting, because you have here a, a transmission of, a, of, a, of information mm-hmm. from Arabic into Hebrew, from Hebrew into French, and from French into Latin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? yes, and you have to take account of all these, uh, all these stages. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, do you think um, going through all these filters, because each language is like a filter to the idea, it's a different way of expressing. Uh, do you think the final version, the uh, Latin version, manages to express the original, the original idea? Sometimes, sometimes, the Latin is more faithful to the source text in Hebrew than the, than any, than, than the Hebrew that we have today. Mm. Oh, good. Interesting. Mm. This is, I, this is, I am discovering that now. I will tell you why. Because the first manuscripts we have, Hebrew manuscripts we have, Uh, of Ibn Ezra's uh, astrological writings are from the beginning of the 14th century. Hmm. There were previous manuscripts, but they are all lost. Hmm. And the first are from the first are from the beginning of the 14th century. Henry Bate, he worked at the end of the 13th century. And hmm. I am I am almost sure that he worked with manuscripts that were closer to Ebenezer's source than the Hebrew that I have. And this is the reason what I am, why I am finding in the translation many sentences, many things that I do not find in the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Then, they are really, from the point of view of restoring the original, they are also very useful. Yes. Uh, the Latin, but you cannot be completely sure okay, of that. Yeah. This, is, this is one possibility. The other possibility is that uh, Henry Bate himself added mm-hmm. uh, his information. Mm-hmm. But I think that in this case he was using, uh, he was using, not, it is not he, it is Hagin the Juif. Hagin the Juif, he was translating from. Uh, manuscripts which were closer to the time of Ibn Ezra mm-hmm. than the Hebrew manuscripts that we have today. I know that there are some, uh, and you probably, again, know this better than I do, there are some translations of Ezra into Spanish. Yes. yes, yes, yes. I wrote an article about that They are, uh, yes, yes, there are uh, several manuscripts in two cities, mm-hmm. in Salamanca and in Segovia. And uh, one of them was published, if, if I'm not wrong, the last year. But there is an article in uh, mm-hmm. the journal Sefarat mm-hmm. where you have a full account of the of the Spanish translations mm-hmm. okay. of uh, Ibn Ezra. Yes, but they are later. They are from the 15th century. Okay. And they are not made by Jews. They are made by uh, what they call conversos. Conversos, yeah. yes. Yeah. Conversos, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because I was thinking in the case of Portugal, if such translations exist, and we would have to research that yet uh, properly, um, They would be either in Portuguese or Latin or even Spanish. Uh, as I told you, as I told you before, mm-hmm. before we began, I am 
sure that if you will make a deep search of Portuguese archives, you will find very interesting matter. For the simple reason that it was not made before. And in any place, in any place that the archives are researched, they are finding very interesting material. You may find, for example, other copies of the same translation, but you may find new translations. Yeah. You find find new com completely new translations of Ibn Ezra's words. You may even find, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> translations of works which were lost in Hebrew and are completely unknown. Yeah. That would the be question one. is to sit to sit in the archive and to research, research the archives. Exactly. That would okay. be wonderful. Yes. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do our homework. <laughs> and if find something new, you will be the first. We will call you immediately. And we will be happy to, to, to collaborate with you oh, about about the, the research of this kind of information. We really yes. have to take a look. Yeah, we know that we had a very uh, active community here in Portugal, uh, and the all the the documents that we have related to astrology and the narratives that we have related to astrology, for example, here in Portugal, are connected to the Jewish community that lived here in the late 14th and 15th and century. Before. Yeah, but, but that's the earliest yeah. we have. It's late, late by the end of the 14th century, and I'm sure they were right. Uh, they were reading Ezra's works. They were working on his on his transmission of the astrological knowledge as well. Probably creating some of their own. Unfortunately. A lot of that documentation no longer exists, was lost, exited Portugal because there are a lot of Portuguese origin manuscripts that are in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, that are in the British Library, uh, because at some point they, they simply uh, went out of the country. Uh, so we, we know that there is this activity, so I'm sure if we look closer we will yeah. find some remnant uh, of that practice and that tradition yeah. still existing in later centuries and uh, yeah. one one thing that i i can tell you because um i studied medieval portugal and um astrological um activities in medieval portugal and when i began years ago in my ma people would say that there was nothing and of course there are uh, evidences one thing that I noticed, and one uh, there's a Portuguese historian that uh, studies this in detail, Maria José Ferro, and it's, th there was a Jewish community that began with the, the first Portuguese king. There was this man, Yahia ibn Yahia, who was a translator, and he negotiated, he negotiated um, be, uh, between some agreements between the the, port, the first Portuguese king, the man that would be the first Portuguese king, and some lords of the Taifas, some lords of the Al-Andalus. So he was a translator. He was actually um, on the other side. He was with the um, with the um, Arabic lord, but then he had some disagreement. Uh, with the with the Arabic man, so he went and he, he flee with his family. He went to the Portuguese king and he stood with the Portuguese king since the beginning, and he helped him 
in the conquest of Santarém, which is a Portuguese city, and Lisbon. So he was kind of nobilitated. And uh, his family stood for, with the Portuguese kings as counselors for 400 years until King Manuel had this brilliant idea of, you know, of expelling all the Jewish, um, Jewish communities. So um, this was for 400 years. So there were these two parallel families, so to say, um, this Jewish family called the Negro family, because they were, uh, not only they were dressed in black, but also because this first man was made the Lord of Aldeia dos Negros. The village of the village of the blacks. It was kind of the name, and uh, well, there were three villages: Aldeia dos Negros, Unhais, and other that I don't remember. He, he received this this uh, lands for himself. He was like a nobleman, very respected. His children were like um, um, treasurers, treasurers, physicians oh, to the court, astrologers was, to the court. He so was also the the main main rabbi of Lisbon. So it was really very important, and his children were like a very important people in the court. There are several generations, mm -hmm. so uh, I am sure that that astrology was one of the main services that they would uh, offer the king. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was very interesting because there are accounts of the difficulty that they had as Jewish people to conciliate their um, ceremonies and traditions with this itinerant um, lifestyle because medieval kings were not in the same place. They would go from one place to the other. So for a Jewish man, it was difficult to um, to fulfill all the rituals that his, his uh, tradition would require. So there are accounts of this. It is very interesting. And it was like 400 years of in, uninterrupted... Um, collaboration mm -hmm. and mutual respect so i'm sure that astrology would play some part in this yeah yeah well it, homework for us homework. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes i would like to ask you uh still regarding what we were talking about the, the language transmission uh would you say that uh, ibn ezra uh, set the tone or created the nomenclature of astrology for the Hebrew language uh, that was then transmitted, uh, or not not only, or it was just one of the possible uh, sources. Ibn Ezra created the mainstream hmm. of the Hebrew uh, vocabulary. First of all, you have to understand that Ibn Ezra's project was not paralleled until today. No Jew wrote on astrology as Ibn Ezra did. Okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, Ibn Ezra's vocabulary is weird, funny, <laughs> curious, problematic. Uh, and in some cases, after three, four, five generations, we will not see the word repeated. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, we see uh, that uh, his creations, his inventions of, of words 
were uh, remained in the mainstream of the Hebrew language. Okay. I am telling you that he was aware because uh, in contrast with other uh, Jewish writers of this time, Ibn Ezra has a new approach for translation, for, for the creation of a, of a Hebrew vocabulary. His approach is that the Bible, even though it is not a scientific book, the Bible contains a subgroup of the original Hebrew. And the original Hebrew, which was the language of Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. was a complete language. The first language and the complete, complete language. Mm -hmm. He writes that in one of his, in the introduction of one of his uh, manuals to the astrolabe. He, he wrote three, three manuals to the astrolabe. In one of in one of these uh, manuals, he writes, the Hebrew was the most complete and the first language, which means that the, the original Hebrew, in his opinion, contained all the semantic fields that you need for everything you need to express in your life, including astrology. Then, what is what is the conclusion? Conclusion that if you will look carefully into the Bible, you will find hidden scientific and astrological words whose meaning needs to be restored. Okay? The meaning was forgotten. Now, Ibn Ezra comes, he's an specialist in, 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 the, in the biblical text. He's very important as a biblical commentator. Then he picks these words. He says that these, these words have astrological meaning or scientific meaning, and he used them persistently, and he avoids completely the Arabic uh, parallel word. Mm -hmm. For example, some examples, some examples. He will call the planets, he will not call the planets as planets, errant stars or something like that, but he will call them in Hebrew, Meshartim. Meshartim means servants. Hmm. Why to call the planet servants? Because he found the word in Psalms, in one of the versicles of the world. And his opinion in this versicle, the word Meshartim, which is which is servants, the meaning is planets. Mm -hmm. And he uses heavily in his astrological words the word Meshartim. Mm -hmm. You have to you, you have to become used to that. Mm -hmm. Why Meshartim? Why servants? Servants? Servants is planets? 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 Mm -hmm. But this is this this is how he works. Another interesting word is climate. Hmm. As you know, climate is an Arabic Climate is, an, is a Greek word, klima. Mm -hmm. From klima, the Greek klima, you receive the Latin klima. Mm -hmm. 
then it was translated into Arabic as Iklim, and then Jewish translators, medieval translators, from Iklim, they get Aklim. Mm. Until today, if you read a newspaper in Israel, you will see the word Aklim for weather. Until today, you will not find this word even one time in Ibn Ezra's works. Mm. So what does he use? <laughs> <laughs> he calls them with another word, Gebulot, which is boundaries. And he found the words again in one versicle of Psalms. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so on. Another case, very interesting case, is the case of center. The word center. It's a very important word, center. Mm -hmm. center. In Arabic, it is markaz. From Markaz, it was transformed in Hebrew into Merkaz, and you may use, you may see it in any book, in any, in any conversation as Merkaz today. Mm -hmm. And even Ezra never uses this word. He uses the word Mutzak, and he took it from the book of Job. Mm -hmm. In his opinion, the word Mutzak means originally center. And because this is the original word, he will use it persistently, consistently in all his words. Okay, this makes his, uh, his writings a little where very, very fascinating, for me fascinating, very interesting. Uh, on the other hand, if we are speaking about a language, even Ezra has another other inventions. For example, one very easy way to know whether a Latin word uh, comes from Ibn Ezra, it is either a translation of Ibn Ezra or is a work influenced by Ibn Ezra because there are a lot of works influenced, not written by Ibn Ezra, but influenced by Ibn Ezra, is, for example, the word honor. Honor. You know, honor is honor. I, have, I assume that in Portuguese, honor is honor, like in English, yes. or in Spanish, or in any language. Okay? Mm -hmm. If you see the word honor used to, uh, for the meaning of exaltation, this mm. is even Israel. Uh -huh. This is Ibn Ezra. Mm. Always. Why honor? Because honor is the Hebrew translation of the Arabic word Sharif, which means honor, and it was used in Arabic texts as exaltation. Mm -hmm. Which means that Ibn Ezra, on the one hand, takes biblical words and gives them astrological or scientific meaning. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he takes Arabic words and translates them, okay? For example, the word honor. And there are, like that, there are many other words. The problem with the word honor is that Ibn Ezra also uses the same word honor, not only for exaltation, but also for the magnitude of the star. Mm. And there are stars of the first honor or of the second honor, and he uses 
In Hebrew, honor is kavod. Hmm. Of the first kavod and of the second kavod. If you find something like that, this is even Ezra. You may be completely sure if you find such a text that this text is either a translation from Ibn Ezra or a work, a Latin, original Latin work that was, that was influenced uh, by Ibn Ezra. Yes, yes that's that something to be, to be attentive. Yes. And how, how does he, out of curiosity, how does he deal with words like term or face or joy? It the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Deacon, mm -hmm. normally we translate it into English as deacon. Deacon is deacon. Is, but the Arabic is waj, which means face. Even mm -hmm. Ezra translated it into panim, which is face. Oh. Okay. Face. Then panim is face. Okay? It is very interesting that the, trans, that the Latin translations uh, translate it into facies. Facies, which is face. They, they, don't, they don't translate it to decan, but it, it, it is, it is facies. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, regarding the term, uh, in this case, uh, Ibn Ezra uses a word that is a literal translation, gbul uh, again. It was translated into Latin as terminus. Terminus. Okay, this is not problematic. This yeah. is not, not a problematic translation. It's a, it's a simple translation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of the texts that I have seen in the 15th century, they have a face for decan or face, and then they have like a Latin, kind of a Latin word turned into into a, um, sorry, like an Arabic word turned into Latin, it's Adoragen, which is Durgan or Darigan or something like that. I think it comes from the Persian. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So yes. Another... yes, there are many, there are many Persian terms that were adopted by the Arabs. Okay, mm -hmm. and then and they, one of them is Animodar. Animodar, yeah. yes. Namudar. Mm -hmm. You intended to ask me about that, mm -hmm. but Animodar is a, is, is a Persian term that was uh, transmitted. Okay, mm -hmm. even Ezra doesn't use Animodar. What does he use? He uses what he means is the translation of Animodar. He knows. He knows. <laughs> he knows that the Persian word Animodar means balance. He knows. You, we cannot be sure whether it is true or not. We mm -hmm. cannot be sure. I think that he has good reasons to, to say that. He is a serious person, even Ezra. And then when he comes to the Trutina Hermetis, okay, Trutina Hermetis means the balance of, uh, of Hermes, you will find that Trutina Hermetis is the literal translation of Ibn Ezra's Mosnei Hanoch. Mm. Use, Abraham Ibn Ezra uses Mosnei Hanoch in his book of nativities, the first version. The first version of, of uh, because there are three, three versions of, of, of his book of nativities. Uh, when, when 
through when Mosnei Hanoch was, tra was translated by Latin translators, then the term Trutina Hermetis was created. Mm. Then, it is very, very important to take that into account. Trutina Hermetis is an Ibn Ezra term. Trutina for Ibn Ezra is animodar, Mm -hmm. It's the translation of an imodar, a balance. Hermetis is because Hermes was the originator of the theory, of the, of the, of the doctrine of the Trutina Hermetis, according to which there is a relationship between the position of the moon at, at birth and at conception, and from this you can know the, the period of, uh, of pregnancy, etc., etc. And from this you can know the ascendant Mm -hmm. when the time of birth is not known, which is very important in astrology, because if you don't know the time of birth, you cannot cast an horoscope, mm -hmm. yeah. a natal horoscope, an natal horoscope, you cannot cast. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is a story. And the, and the, and the Latin Armetis has a long, 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 long history, until the modern era, until today. Modern astrologers, they still use the, the, the term Trutina Hermetis till today. Mm -hmm. They don't know that it comes from Ibn Ezra. Mm -hmm. No, and it, it, it's interesting to see how, how certain authors influence so much in extensively the practice and the terminology and the way things are seen. And, and, and with Ibn Ezra, that's, that's, that's really a, a point. He is very influential to all the practice of astrology that comes after him. Latin, Hebrew, yes. and others, yes. Also, also the assignation of this doctrine to, to Hermes, or to Enoch, Enoch. Mm -hmm. Even Ezra writes in Hebrew, and Hermes is Enoch. Mm -hmm. It's the biblical Enoch, okay? Mm -hmm. This is also Ibn Ezra, because the doctrine itself is known from antiquity. Mm -hmm. Yes. The doctrine itself is not by Ibn Ezra. But the link between this doctrine and Enoch mm -hmm. and the name Trutina Hermetis, this is Ibn Ezra. And it comes from his, from his uh, book of nativities. It is very interesting who were the first Latin uh, writers that used the term Trutin Hermetis. Mm. And in which context? It's very interesting. Mm. One of them was Henri Bate. Same Henri Bate that I am working now with him. Mm -hmm. And he used the term Trutin Hermetis in his Nativitas. Nativitas is a short name for Henri Bate's autobiography. Henri Bate wrote an Astrological autobiography. He wrote it in 1280, 1280. And this book is very important for Ibn Ezra, to, for, for our knowledge of Ibn Ezra, because this book contains references, quotations, paraphrases, paraphrases of 12 works by Ibn Ezra. Mm. And as a matter of fact, Ibn Ezra is his main source. 
in one part, in one part, it is an autobiography, one part where he, Henry Bata refers to, to his birth, and he is uh, explaining to the reader how he was able to make the ascendant of his birth, he says that he, he did that by means of the Trutina Hermetis. He used this word. At the first, this was the first instance. Mm -hmm. This is one. The second instance is also very interesting. The second instance is by the second very important translator of Ibn Ezra, who was Pietro de Avalo. Mm. And he used it also in one of his books, not an astrological book, where Pietro de Avalo also refers to his birth, and he tries to establish exactly the date and the hour and the minute of his birth, and he says that he did that by means of the Trutina Hermetis. Sure. Now, both of them, Bate and Pietro de Avalo, both of them acknowledge that this is by Ibn Ezra. But Following, following Bate and Pietro de Habano, other uh, posterior uh, writers, they use the Trotina Hermetis without mention, mentioning any more Ibn Ezra. <laughs> Today, no one knows that it is by, by Ibn Ezra. Yes, it's yeah. something that people just use and they know yeah, it's, it's a, uh, a traditional technique, but yeah. they, they don't relate to a specific, to a specific okay. author. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the origin of that, the name. Yeah. That was what I intended to ask you. <laughs> yes. yes. And um, I was curious, after studying so much this author, how do you see him as a personality? Because he is a... a, a he has very strong opinion. A very strong <laughs> he, he, person. Uh, some, uh, when we read um, Ezra, the two of us, one thing that we find very, very interesting is that he has very strong opinions about other people. He either agrees or disagrees. Practices, it's, theories. It's very yeah. interesting to, to yes. see. It's really yes. strong. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is another very interesting point. This is also what makes his books so interesting, his personality. Uh, even Ezra's books are not astrological books are not only technical, okay, I mean, they don't, you will not find there are only doctrines, simple doctrines. Ibn Ezra explains his doctrines. Why is that? Why is not that? And he also says if it works or if it doesn't work or it is, if it is funny or it is stupid, Yes. <laughs> and from this he goes to the attack and he attacks almost everyone almost everyone for example about attacks he begins his first version of the book of the world he wrote three versions he begins his first version with a very very strong attack on Abu Masha Abu Masha is the main source of world astrology also Ibn Ezra. And then he begins the book by this phrase. If you find the book by Abu Masher on the great conjunctions, do not believe him because it is full of lies. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. By the way, when Anrebate 
translated this book. This book was very popular mm. in the Middle Ages. The trans even a, a Baptist translation of, of uh, the first version of the, the Book of the World. He wrote a very long prologue to his translation by him, by Bate, trying to explain why even Ezra is attacking uh, Abu Masha. <laughs> <laughs> That would be very complicated, yes. It's <laughs> yeah, no, no, very interesting. This is very, very interesting. Uh, his prologue is very interesting. Uh, another another, another person that even Ezra is attacking is Ptolemy. Hmm. And you have to understand that attacking Ptolemy is not so a uh, simple thing. Ptolemy is like Einstein in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. It is like a god. Okay, and uh, he's attacking. For example, in the same book of nativities, he's saying approximately the same, the, uh, the same thing. Everything you now is a little different. He says everything you found, you find about Ptolemy, that is related to astronomy, is correct. He mm -hmm. says, and he's referring to the Almagest. Mm -hmm. But everything. Ptolemy writes about astrology, and he's referring especially to not so much to the to the Tetrabiblos, but to the Quintilocium, mm -hmm. okay, to the Book of the Three. Mm -hmm. So he says everything you find about that is full of errors. Mm -hmm. This is Ibn Ezra. By the way, you will find the same Ibn Ezra you will find in his biblical commentaries. He's attacking every, 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 every colleague, commentator colleague, either Jewish or not Jewish. Not important. Equal opportunity. <laughs> now, the reason why he's so free is because he, he was a wanderer uh, professor. Mm -hmm. He was not an established person that has to be afraid of what he says. Mm. No. If you if you look at, at his biography, we know his biography by looking at the dates of his books. This is the only way the way to do. You see that he never stayed in the same city more than two or three or four years. He stayed in a city three or four years, and then he went to another city, to another city. He began from Rome. Mm. Then he passed through some cities in Italy. Then he went to France, Bézier first, then Rouen, and then he went to London. And in London, he vanishes. Okay? And then he's free. He's free. He can say whatever he wishes. If he likes something, he will say it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is indeed, uh, I think, one of the major figures of uh, the history of astrology. There are many, but he's, for the Middle Ages, I think he is uh, a cornerstone of a whole practice, uh, a lot of theory and and, and sub substance of, of of the yes the yes and uh, and uh, one thing that I was very surprised to see is his re his Renaissance, even as as Renaissance in the Latin in the Latin uh, mm -hmm. Europe. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. 
Ibn Ezra died approximately 1160. 1160. From 1160 until 1270, approximately, we don't hear about Ibn Ezra in any text. During his life, he had contacts with the Christian scholars. We know that. But after his death, nothing. Silence. Then, in 1270, all of the sudden, out of the blue, Ibn Ezra is reborn. Mm. Is reborn by means of many, many, many translations mm -hmm. who repeat themselves. This is the interesting point. The same book is translated again and again and again by different translators. Why? Why they were so much interested in Ibn Ezra? Mm -hmm. What made Ibn Ezra into a superstar at this time? Mm -hmm. I am asking you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have to ask myself, and I will tell you what is my, what is my answer. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the answer is given by uh, Pietro de Avano in the introduction to one of his uh, translations, also, also by Bate. Ibn Ezra, before, before one gives an answer, you have to understand that astrology was, was not one thing. Not one thing. People think that astrology is one thing. No, no, not at all. There are different branches in astrology. You have branches and genres. Of, 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 of astrological literature. First of all, you have introductions. Second, you have nativities. Third, you have elections. Four, you have interrogations. Five, you have medical astrology. And six, you have world astrology. Ibn Ezra wrote about all these six branches. Then, when you translate a collection of Ibn Ezra's writings, you receive a package of all the branches. Then it is very convenient to, to, to translate it. This is also the reason why, when we know the name of the translator, because there are uh, many anonymous translations, when we know, we see that they made a, a selection of words of with works of, of uh, not of one branch, of, but on many branches. Mm -hmm. this, is, this was the appeal of Ibn Ezra. Mm -hmm. yes. You may learn astrology completely. Exactly. All the branches together. Yeah. I, I, I'm recalling also, for example, uh, Ali Ben Rajo, which is also an author that has a compendium with all branches of astrology in a single work and he also was heavily translated and it, it's also a figure which has that kind of appeal so when you're translating his work you're getting a complete package of astrology as we would yes. with Ibn Ezra so yeah that's interesting I, I had never thought that as a motivator for yes. the existence of so many translations of a given author or the yes. importance of a given author but yeah, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense uh, that they would do that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. The other reason, as even Ezra, is very interesting. 
is simply interesting if you read, especially the introductions of his books. Mm -hmm. When you read Ibn Ezra, as a matter of fact, you are reading his sources, mm -hmm. his Arabic sources, elaborated, mixed by Ibn Ezra in a special order. Not exactly as he found them, but mixed, okay? Mixed. But there are some parts in Ibn Ezra which are original by him. And these parts are especially in the introductions. In the introductions, he gives his ideas. Normally, it is a defense of some doctrine, of, of some branch, mm -hmm. or what, what seems to be an attack, but it is in fact a defense. Of, a, of, of this branch. And it's very interesting how he does. Okay? Mm -hmm. More interesting is when you read them in Hebrew, because it was they were written in a brilliant Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Even today, even today, if you if you will take uh, the job of uh, studying Hebrew and you will be able to read it, it's not so difficult. Mm -hmm. You will find it extremely interesting for a person of, of the 12th century who mm -hmm. didn't speak Hebrew in the street, mm -hmm. okay, didn't speak, how, how, how he was able to express himself with such a rich language. How is the reception of Ibn Ezra within the Hebrew community? Because we have that hiatus until we start seeing the translations. Do we know anything about his transmission between uh, within the, the Hebrew community and the Hebrew practitioners? I will give you an example. The, the, the reception was problematic. Mm. Okay? Even Ezra died approximately at 1160. Mm -hmm. Plus, plus mm. minus 1160, 1161, 1162, mm -hmm. he disappears in London. Okay. And then in 1190, there is a very interesting letter written from Provence to Maimonides. Mm -hmm. It is called the Letter of Astrology. It is a very famous letter because uh, Maimonides wrote in, in response to this letter he wrote, he wrote his own letter on astrology and it is, an, it is a terrible attack on astrology mm -hmm. in this letter Maimonides says that astrology is nonsense astrologers, astrologers were, the responsible, were responsible for the destruction of the second temple mm. we caused Jews in this time, instead of preparing themselves to war, they were busy with astrology. <laughs> okay? This is what he says. Uh, in any case, the letter of Maimonides is very famous mm -hmm. and is very good now. The letter that was sent to him, that provoked his response, was less known. Mm. I wrote an article almost 20 years ago about that, mm. in which I made a critical edition of the letter to Maimonides from Provence 
to Maimonides mm-hmm. and I analyzed all the, all, the, all the text. And I found, to my great surprise, to my great surprise, I couldn't believe that the letter was made by inserting quote, literal quotations from Ibn Ezra's astrological books. Mm. Then they are sending from Provence, they are sending to Maimonides quotations from astrological books and, are, and asking Maimonides, what does this mean? Mm. What does this mean? Now, as the, Maimonides was a terrible enemy of astrology, and then you can understand what what was the, what was the response. They were, they were case, the, <laughs> the very fact, the very fact that they they turned to Maimonides for an answer is that they were Clueless. not sure. They were not. They were uh, bewildered mm-hmm. by Ibn Ezra's books. This is this is a, this is explaining you that the reception of Ezra was not so smooth, mm-hmm. was not so smooth. On the other hand, on the other hand, the fact that Ibn Ezra introduced uh, astrology into his biblical commentaries, mm-hmm. he did that in a very be- in a beautiful way, beautiful way. How he explains biblical events. By astrology, he, this helped to to introduce astrology into the uh, Hebrew world. Mm-hmm. Okay, then now, if you will look, for example, another another, another way of uh, learning about his uh, reception is to look at the number of, of manuscripts. The first manuscripts are, f- are from the fourth from the 14th century, mm-hmm. and the number grows greater and greater and greater as long as times goes on. Mm-hmm. For example, from this book, Beginning of Wisdom, we have today 80 manuscripts, mm-hmm. very large number. Okay. You will not find a book by Ibn Ezra with less than 20 manuscripts, many manuscripts. This is, this is indicating you that he had a very good uh, reception. So. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, Professor, uh, there were a lot of other things that we could <laughs> continue to ask you because you're a source of wisdom and, and you have all this knowledge uh, on Ibn Ezra. Um, but we don't want to, to also keep you so long and keep this, this conversation as long. I would thank you very schedule, much. And we could schedule another conversation yes. for some time. Yes. Uh, um, you, you're, of course, working now on your project with Henry Batts, and, and uh, you should have a publication, another publication soon, if, if I understand correctly. You had one now uh, recently, and you'll have another one coming. Uh, is that it? First of all, I have an article about uh, Agribate as a translator. This article will appear in the, in the following weeks. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a preliminary article to my critical edition of, of all of Agribate's uh, uh, translations. It's a preliminary. It's a preliminary. I hope that uh, you will have it in, at the end of this year. Yeah. The article is written, it's finished. 
which is only to be published. Okay. By the way, I have another article about uh, about Pietro de Avano. It was published at the beginning of this year, this year or the, yes, this year. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Right. Okay, so maybe we can uh, talk when the when this article and the other publications will come to light. Yes, yes, yes it would be interesting to talk a little bit about that specific research. Okay, time. very good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me to speak with you. And I hope to speak with you in uh, in Portugal. Yes, oh, yes. if all goes well, we'll be here in May. In May. Yes. So, thank okay. You. And we'll see you soon. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.